This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, thank you all for coming. Thank you all for joining. Uh, tonight, we are learning in the Yiluni Shabbat Moshe Yehuda ben Yaakov Akoyen and Yechezkel ben Abraham and Avram ben Chaim Yehuda, as well as of Washlema to Tamar Bas Ahuva Ilanit. Um, to, uh, you know, also one, one announcement if anybody wants. Oh, there's another Yiluni Shabbat from Michal ben. Yitzchak and Ariel Chai ben Eliezer. There is another announcement that I want to make that, uh, you know, usually I, I don't make, I try not to make too many announcements, even though, you know, there, there's a few causes that I do bring up, and I, you know, I do, I do make those announcements, but usually I don't, uh, um, make too many announcements for money, uh, in, you know, in the classes, but there is one, uh, one family that I'm very, very close with that is making a wedding. And uh, this um, this wedding is, is something that you know it's a it's a Kolo family that they mamish they 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 need the money for the wedding. This is literally a Kolo that I know uh, the people. I will share this. so whoever I strongly strongly not 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 even recommend at this point. I I'm asking you know I'm asking for everybody could could donate something or share the links or or spread out this uh, you know this information. I will. Um, I will share it, you know, like, it's a link, so it's very hard for me to say the link, so I'm going to try to put it on, in YouTube, obviously, I can put it in the comments, in Torah Anytime, I'm going to see if I can be able to also put it, I'm not sure if I'll be able to, uh, um, be able to put it in or not, um, uh, and I don't want to put people onto YouTube, but it'll be, um, anybody can message me, they can email me at rabbizitron at torahanytime.com, and I'll send them uh, the link, um, I would greatly appreciate it. whoever else, whoever can share, can spread the word out, and, and to donate whatever it is that you can, it's a really, really Big mitzvah for this uh, for this family, uh, and one final announcement uh, that is uh, something we spoke about also last week. Where if uh, anybody wants to learn Torah and with a chavusa, and uh, you th- th- there's an organization that sets you up with someone to learn any topic that you want, anything they want. Really, an amazing, amazing opportunity because. You have a lot of people across the world that are listening to Torah classes, and it's great on Torah anytime on different p- platforms. They're sitting and they're learning, they're reading, they're, they're they're doing so much learning. But it's very different when you have a one-on-one experience. So if you want to tap into this one-on-one experience, uh, reach out to Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi, uh, and I'll give you his email and uh, um, and and reach out to him, and he'll set you up with. Uh, uh, you know, with, with people to, uh, you know, just like set you up for life. <laughs> like, let's just leave it at that. If you want to be set up for life, email Y-A-A-K-O-V-R-A-H-I-M-I at gmail.com. Again, that's Yaakovrahimi at gmail.com. Y-A-A-K-O-V-R-A-H-I-M-I. So two things that is being asked of you. Number one is email Rabbi Yaakov Rahimi to go and, and be set for life. Number two is to set yourself up for the next world, for tzedakah. Uh, you know, find the link and, and donate whatever your heart allows you to if you're able to. And if not, you can share the link or you can do both uh, to this family that for hachnasas kala. Okay, that being said, let's jump in to the topic at hand. So... The, the, you know, the topic on, on, on what your heart desires is something that's so fundamental to the human psychology that if you think about what guides you, what drives you, what, what pushes you to do something or to attain something, and it usually starts off with a desire. Now, desire is usually noted as a more of a negative term, so if we, you know, like, if, if we switch the words around and say what the heart wants, you know, sort of guides us to what we eventually do. And, and you know, this this could start in, in like, so many different, you know, uh, areas in our life. It, it, could, it could start in the place where we just want to be better people. Uh, we want to be happier people. We want to be a better spouse. We want to be more religious. We want to learn more. It all has to start with that want, with that desire, with that, with that need sort of inside where we want to do something that sort of propels us forward to, to the next step. And, and generally, we could break it off into like three categories. You have uh, category number one is what our heart wants. Category number two is that we try to achieve what category number one put into place, and that's by our physical actions. And category number three, that's the success. If we're able to tap into, if we're able to achieve that, that's already in Akadish Baruch's hand. That's already in, in, in uh, you know up above, and that's not really so much in our control. So. 
the the three steps, the three categories is the desire, that's one, the action, that's two, and the success, that's three. So the first two are in human, the desire and the action is more in the human realm, and the success is more in the spiritual realm, that's in, in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hands, if what he will uh, want us to succeed or not. Our focus today, Be'ezrat Hashem, with Hashem's help, is to be on the, the desires, on our wants. And it's very, very important to be, you know, like people nowadays, it's became like a like an in thing to do to get to know yourself you know like you had to, so some people pay pay someone a lot of money for, so that they could tell them who they are and what they are and what their needs are and their wants are and their desires are but if we just do a little bit of introspection we could realize who we are if we're just a, we're just a little bit in tune to ourselves we could understand ourselves so much more maybe an example say that you're davening and for whatever reason you realize that you thought you had to daven a longer davening uh, you could give you, I could give you examples for a man, it could be Tachnan, for a woman, she could be starting to think that it's, you know, Rosh Chodesh, and it turns out it's not. Whatever the example is, it's irrelevant, the actual example, but the bottom line is, is that you thought you had a longer davening, and all of a sudden you realize, no, wait a minute, I don't have to do that anymore, like, like it's a shorter davening, and your heart kind of like skips a beat, you know, like you go like, oh, okay, you know, like, it's like, you know, like, you find that extra $20 bill in your pocket, you know, like, oh, it's like a nice little, you know, bonus surprise, or like, you know, you, you eat a candy, and there's like an extra juicy thing that squirts out, and it's like, gives you that little bit of like, hmm, a little bit of like that little happiness, so if you're davening, and all of a sudden you have that little extra happiness, where you realize you don't have to daven a little bit more, that means that inside you really didn't want to daven to a certain extent. Obviously, you wanted to dive in, but like when you realize that you didn't have to go do more, all of a sudden it felt it felt good. It felt a little bit like you know, it's like this bad feeling that we don't want to pay attention to. But if we really focus and be like, wait a minute, why was I? Why did I feel a little bit happy for doing that? It, it give you an example a little bit easier and a little bit clearer. If someone's dating somebody and they're going on a date and they just want the date to end. That means that you're not having a good time, right? You don't, you, you're, if you want to leave, that means that you're not happy where you are. So if you're talking to HaKadosh Baruch if you're listening to a Torah class, if you're learning Torah and you want it to end, that means that something is not work, something is not connecting over here. So when we go and we, we, we try to focus and understand what our desires are, it really tells us who we are as a person and what we can uncover and what we can grow and hopefully, you know, tap into a potential that we sort of kept it cloaked, covered and in secret in the back door without even realizing that it existed. To take this, mat, this point one step further, imagine you have two people walking down the street. And they're walking exactly down the same street, side by side. They're talking to each other, or whatever it is. They know each other, don't know each other. It's irrelevant. And after they finish uh, walking past the street, there is somebody with a pad of paper stops them and says, "Excuse me, I want, to, I'd like to interview you if you don't mind." And he each asks these two people, "What did you see when you were walking past by?" And one person said, started listing all the stores that were listed in, on this side and all the stores that were listed on that side. And the other person said, to be honest, I, I wasn't really paying attention. I mean, I was looking, I was spacing out, I was talking, I wasn't really focused on, you know, on what the stores were. Now, what is the difference? Assuming that, let's say, their mind is exactly the same, you know, it's not like one has a photographic memory. They're exactly the same in all areas. But one has the ability to be able to see and remember and know the stores and what they are, what their names are, what they have inside, and the other one has no clue. One answer is a very simple answer. The person that was looking at the stores, they were they wanted to buy something. So let's say they, they walked you know, down Fifth Avenue, they walked down a, 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 you know, a street that has a lot of clothing stores. They needed to buy a certain article of clothing, so they're constantly looking at the stores because this is something that their heart wants. They, they need something, so they're trying to pinpoint it. The other person had no reason, no need, no want for any of the stores, so he had no interest in them, and they, you know, completely, you know, oblivious to whatever was going on. Meaning that if we have a certain desire, a certain notion, a certain uh, idea, we see things differently, or we'll see things and we won't see things. If somebody wants something, if somebody wants to do chesed, they will see opportunities. It's not that the other person doesn't see the opportunities, it's that the heart, if we take one step back, if the heart doesn't desire it, the heart doesn't want it, then you're not going to be able to see it. That's the idea behind the Pesach, this is what we say in Shema, we're not supposed to go after our hearts and our, and our eyes. 
why does it start off with saying don't go after your hearts and then don't go after your eyes if anything it should be the other way around and the reason is that if our, the, this first step in anything in life is what our heart desires if we want something we'll start seeing something if any if you know if, if somebody was let's say is looking to buy a house all of a sudden they see for sale signs everywhere if someone's not on that, they would never realize that. If someone's looking to buy a car, they'll see car for sales everywhere, but other than that, they wouldn't care less. Somebody's in medicine, all of a sudden they see ads and they see everything for, you know, it, it, for whatever it is that they're looking, because that's what your life, life is so full of information. But we only tap into to whatever our heart desires. There's so much out there that we're not tapping into because our mind is not even on that. And for some things it's good, our mind shouldn't be on that. But there's so many things that we're leaving on topic just because our heart is not there. We're not striving for it. We're not looking for it. There's so many opportunities for growth. There's so many opportunities for success. There's so, even for business. There's so many opportunities that if we just, our, our heart, our minds open up a little bit, we'll be able to see so many different things. So much different opportunities that we have for spiritual growth to become better people. But we have to have that desire. We have to have that want, that need in, inside beforehand. So now, with that introduction, let us go into Hanukkah. And let's see how this at all plays with, with Hanukkah. So let's go in a brief historical background on Hanukkah. Again, we spoke about this a few years ago. So I'm not going to go into all the details because I want to just give a brief overview. So uh, you know, a little bit over 2,000 years ago, the, the Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, was part of the Syrian Greek Empire. Now, this... During this time, there was, uh, you could call it an intellectual war or a, you know, a, a spiritual war that was going on. There was the Hellenistic culture, the Hellenism, which was the, the study, the, the imitation of Greek culture. Uh, this is the, the bringing about of the, not only the Greek culture, but it's also everything that they represent. You're, you're talking about they were very into, um, uh, you know, sports and they were very into the, the you know, the, the whole Olympics. This is where it comes from. But it's not only the fact of sports and being healthy, it was more that it was all surrounded and, and, and orchestrated around the idea of idolatry and immorality. And it was something that was the, the a complete opposite of of what's of Judaism or what spirituality stood for. And there was two these two opposing ideas. That, and and unfortunately, a lot of the Jewish people got swept away by this idea to the point that people tried to reverse their circumcision because they tried to go compete. And they, they really got so involved, unfortunately, into this uh, into this uh, into this world. And these people that were unfortunately they threw off the yoke of Torah and they became completely into the Greek culture. They were known as uh, the Misyavnim or the, the Hellenists, completely into the Greek culture. And it came to the point where it was even the, the Kohen Gadol, the way that the Kohen Gadol, you know, usually how it goes, it has to be, it's a holy person, and it's not just somebody who just like, it's not a position that gets like, you know, elected by like, you know, popular vote and things like that. If they had the money and they're able to run the ads and they were able to, it's not like the presidential election over here. How did the, you, know, you have to be a holy person on a really high level. Unfortunately, it came to the point where the, you know, the, the, the person that became a Kohen Gadol was the person that was able to bribe the you know Antiochus, the person that was able to, to 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 bribe himself in there, and unfortunately, you know, for quite some time, it was Hellenistic Jews, Jews that didn't even care about you know spirituality. They don't even want to go into all the details of what uh, you know of what happened, but they basically introduced this Hellenistic culture into Yerushalayim, into Eretz Yisrael. They built stadiums. They they worshipped the Bodhisattva. It was a very very terrible. So there was a, this intellectual war with with the spiritual and the the purity and the impurity. The Greeks when they entered the base Amigdash, uh, you know I'm fast forwarding obviously now. When they entered the base Amigdash, they went and they defiled all all the oil. And this we're gonna you know. Remember this key point because we're going to come back to it. They went in and defiled all the oil. They defiled the entire base, the base of English. But they defiled it. They came to a point where the, there was a few select Jews that felt the Hashem They felt so like it, it just put them so much against the wall that they started. They started. They're going to fight back and they fought back the guerrilla warfare and they went and they battle after battle and Baruch Hashem they were they were successful. Not only were they successful in the military victory, but they were also successful in finding a jar of oil, a jar of oil that would have only allowed the menorah to be lit for one day, and it lasted for eight days. And that is a very, very brief 
terrible overview of the uh, you know of the Hanukkah story. So let's try to break this down. And as is common with the Jewish, especially when you're when you, you think of things of Pesach, even though there's nothing to really relate it to Pesach, but let's ask the four questions. So the Oh, very good. Question. What was the purpose of the five yellow jars? That's a question that I'm going to ask soon. So stay tuned. Spoiler alert. Let's go to the four questions. The history of Hanukkah is something very interesting and stands out from all our other holidays. All our other holidays. You look at Pesach. Pesach, we celebrate what? Exodus of Egypt. Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Shavuos, we celebrate Matan Torah, the getting of the Torah. Sukkot, we celebrate the Anane Akavit. This is the commemorating the miracles of the, of the clouds of glory. Purim, the celebration over the, the, the annihilation, the, the victory over Haman. Hanukkah, is something very interesting. Everything that I mentioned beforehand is one celebration. Pesach, it's Yisim Shem, one to one. Shavuot, the Matan Torah, Sukkot, the Adonai Kavit. Hanukkah, there's two. No other holiday do we have two celebrations. Here we have two miracles, the miracle of oil and the military victory. So, the first question of the first question, of the four questions, is why on Hanukkah there are two miracles and everywhere else there's only one miracle. Now, of these two miracles, it seems, if you think about it, that the military victory, that's so much greater and so much more miraculous than the fact that the oil lasted for seven additional days, you know, than, than, you know, than, than it really should have, uh, according to the properties of, uh, you know, of physics and, and chemistry. So, one of them was like a complete open miracle, and one of them was like, oh, nice, it lasted a little bit extra. It seems, especially when you compare the two, that the, Light, the, the miracle of the oil is so insignificant, if we could even say that. So, so then we, the question number two is, is why do we focus on the oil? To make this question a little bit stronger, in the time of the base of Mikdash, in the time of the, of the temple, there were ten, the, the Gemara goes and tells us, the Mishnah tells us that there were ten miracles that happened consistently. Number one is the aroma of the meat of the karbanos, the, the sacrifices. They never caused a woman to miscarry. Number two, the meat in the base of Megdash never spoiled. Number three, the flies were never seen in the room where the meat was cut. And if anybody has been anywhere near, close to like dead meat for like too long, like an hour or two to extra outside, all of a sudden the flies are over there. There was no flies in the base of Megdash. Number four, the Kohen Kabbalah never came, be, it became impure with uh, Tumas uh, Kerry. Number five, the rain never extinguished the, mis- the, the fire on the Mizbeach. Number six, the columns of smoke was always straight up and it was never dispersed or scattered by the wind. Number, well, we have to, seven, I believe it was. The carbon omer and the shtei alechem, the lechem apan, they never became disqualified. Always, always stayed the same, always stayed nice and fresh. The shal, at number eight, shal's regal, people stood very close, this is a very famous one, and yet they were, they were bowed down, there was so much extra room. Number nine, no one was ever injured by a snake or a scorpion in Jewish line. And number ten, no one ever complained in Jewish line for being overcrowding at night. Just as a side note, the chasam sefer does say this, something very interesting. They were crowded. The miracle was, they didn't complain. <laughs> that's like a crazy, crazy hop, but that's, that's for, for a different time. So we see over here, there was miracles that were happened consistently, daily, in the base of Migdash. So now you have an extra miracle that the oil lasted for 10. It's like nothing out of the ordinary. Imagine, you know, you're dealing with miracles so consistently and something else comes in over here. Why are we making such a big deal on the miracle, on the, on the nace of the oil lasting an extra few days of what it was originally intended to? That is question number two. Question number three is, the miracle of oil was really an unnecessary miracle. There is a principle that that if the, impu- if so, if the impurity is permissible, if the, the, the community is in a larger state of impurity. In simple terms, it was completely acceptable to use defiled oil to light the menorah. Meaning so that this miracle was not so much as a, as, as a need. So why did HaKadosh Baruch perform a miracle if it was not needed? So the question number three is, why did it make this miracle? Question number four is that the Chashmanayim, when, when we were Baruch Hashem able to defeat the Greeks and expel them from the base of Megdash, and we went and we started searching. The Chashmanayim went and they started searching for what? They started searching for pure oil. The question is, why did they even look? 
Like they know that the Hashemunayim, they went, the, and the Greeks went and they defiled, they specifically went out to defile each of the, of, of the jars of oil. So when they know they went there, why did they even bother searching and they found one until they found one on the ground? Like, why did they even go to that? It was all defiled. It was like a lost cause. Like, why did they even start the search? So I want to share with you something that I read from Rabbi Daniel Gladstein Sefer, Magna Rakia. Amazing. If anybody does it, if, if you don't know who Rabbi Daniel Gladstein is, you got to check him out on Torah anytime. Like his far, everything is, is, is amazing. Such, his sharing is unbelievable. So I want to share with you something that he wrote down in his Sefer on Hanukkah. And um, Klal Yisrael, he brings us down from uh, Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman. So Klal Yisrael has technically two ways of dealing, historically at least, that is, with uh, uh, challenges. Either fighting back, like arming up, training, and fighting out, or tshuva. And, you know, like inward introspection and doing tshuva. Now the question is, which is the correct reaction? We have we have the two actions. So, you know, when we look at our history, you look at Hanukkah. Hanukkah, the, you know, the, the Greeks you know, issue decrees against our way of lives, and the reaction of the Jewish people was to respond, you know, in the military fashion. Arms, uh, arm up and fight back physically. You don't find any, any, you know, mention of like public, you know, declarations of fasting and tefillah. Of course, you know, the Hashemunayim obviously were on a high level. They did, you know, the fasting, they did tefillah before they went and they, and they fought, but you don't find any public announcements as opposed to where you look at Purim. Purim, at no point you see Mordechai say to the Jewish people to go and fight and, and arm themselves and fight against, uh, you know, Haman. There is one point where the, 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 the Megillah does say that they went and they they had to defend themselves if need be, but the whole aspect of Purim was what do tshuva. So we see over here at one aspect there is to fight back. Another aspect is just introspection to do tshuva. Now we know that the rule is that we have to go and, and you know follow our ancestors in the way that we're supposed to respond to things. So the question is how do we how do we figure it out? At one side it's physical, and on another side it's spiritual. So where how do we connect it? And where are we supposed to fight back? And where are we supposed to go and and internalize it and do tshuva? So, and we take this in a little bit of a lateral step, and bear with me because this is beautiful. We take this in a little bit of a lateral step. Hanukkah is celebrated spiritually. Lahodos olahalo. Purim is celebrated physically. It's a mishnah v'simcha. It's it's uh, you know the, it, it's a more of a physical celebration. So Levushbrit goes and, and explains that Hanukkah. Listen to this idea. Hanukkah, the. Our enemies attacked us spiritually. So the celebration is a spiritual celebration. And in fact, it's even hinted in the things that we play with. In Hanukkah, we do a dreidel. A dreidel, it's from the, you know, you spin it from the top. That's this up spiritual, down physical. We're not going to get into the whole, the kibikashi, so whatever. We're not going to get into all that. But top is, is spiritual, bottom is physical. They, you spin it from the top. Purim is, they, Haman wanted to physically wipe us out. So Yom Tov of Purim is celebrated physically. The grogger, which we shake when we hear Haman's name, is, is, is spun from the bottom, not from the top. That's the physical. So this explains the way that we celebrate it. But now, how come, and, and our, our response is different, whether it's with Hanukkah, with the military action, or with Purim, with the tshuva aspect. So Rabbi Haman goes and answers, that there are two types of decrees, there are two types of zeros. Sometimes there is a decree that Hashem directly decrees, a, a, you know, a whatever it is, uh, you know, against, uh, unfortunately, for, for Kalei At other times, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives the Satan the ability, the license to put a challenge, of course this is under HaKadosh Baruch Hu's control, but this is something that's called Maise Satan. The bring this bring this down as well. This is something that's called a Maise Satan. Now, when the de- how do we differentiate between the two? So when a decree is against Torah and mitzvot, it's against Judaism itself, that is a Maisa Satan. That is a decree from the Satan. And in order to fight that back, that we have to fight back physically. When, some other, when the enemy tries to destroy us physically, not spiritually, that's a wake-up call from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that is what we have to do tshuva. 
So Hanukkah, they try to destroy us spiritually. That is a Maisa Satan. The thing that we're supposed to do is fight back. It explains Rabbi Hanukkah Wasserman. The Purim was a physical annihilation. And therefore, the way that we're supposed to, this is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And what we need to do is we need to... Um, we need to uh, um, we need to do tshuva introspection, and the Chavetz Chaim goes and brings down and says that in time of the communists, the communists we really there was a spiritual attack, and we should have fought back physically. You realize that this idea is so fundamental because it tells us what to do in communist Russia, it tells us what to do in the Holocaust, it tells us what to do in certain you know things. Again, obviously we have to you know speak to our gedolim in this in this area, but it gives us an understanding in a little bit of it. And this is why Yaakov, you know, Yaakov, when Yaakov escaped, he ran away to escape his brother's, you know, Esav's anger, wrath, he avoided Esav for a long time, for 22 years. But eventually he had to be, he met up with his brother. And how did Yaakov prepare for it? He prepared for both of them. He prepared, he spiritually started, prepared by praying. And he also prepared for war. So what was it, why did he do for, you know, both? Because Esav, he had a dual threat. He had a double threat, double double trouble. As Esav came in, Esav he came in, and we see we hear the pasuk in Bereshis chapter thirty-two, verse twelve. Yaakov is going and says, "Save me from my brother, from Esav." Why the double Russian? Why the double language of my brother and Esav? It's Esav is his brother. We know that. Why the double double language? So the reason for it explains the Beis Alevi is that there was two dangers: the hand of Esav. That was the physical threat. Esau's threat was to harm him physically, Yaakov. And he said, please, HaKadosh Baruch please save me from the physical harm of Esau, from the hands of my of, of Esau. But the hands of my brother, Esau, came in with another threat. And that is a, a threat of love, of brotherhood. And bringing him in, meaning that would have been a threat to his spirituality, because Esau was not a, nowhere near on the same spiritual level as Yaakov. He was in completely different directions. So there was a double threat, and therefore Yaakov had to respond in a double, in the spiritual you know, prayer, and also in the so with that in mind, we have to figure out, wait a minute, so why is it that Haman and the Greeks each had, like what causes, like if we take it a step back, what caused Haman to give a physical threat, and what caused the Greeks to give a spiritual threat? So, when you look at the at Purim, when Bnei Israel sinned in Purim, the sin was a physical sin. It was a sin. They went to Ahasuerus' party. It was a, a sin of pleasure. It, it was it was a physical sin. They enjoyed themselves physically. So what happened? The decrees against them was against the physical. They sinned physical. The decree against them was the physical annihilation. And therefore, the tshuva process required them to fast. They had to afflict their bodies, deprive themselves of the material ple- pleasures that they you know were in the same area that they sinned in. And what happened was, Akadish Baruch Hu saved them from that. So the victory, they were, to, to sort of do like a mini recap, they did a physical sin. They were, you know, the punishment was physical. The tshuva was physical. And then the salvation is also physical. So meaning they sinned in the physical manner. So they had to do tshuva in the physical manner by fasting. And now once they did the tshuva, Hashem saved them in the physical manner from not getting annihilated, and that's why we celebrate Purim in a physical manner of Mishnah and Yom Tov, is what we drink, everything is, is in a physical sense. That's Purim. Hanukkah, Hanukkah is the, the, the inadequacies that, that Kalal had was in this like, was in the Avodah Hashem. It was in their spiritual growth. They're serving God. They did it without interest. They got, you know, you know, mixed up with the Hellenistic culture and they, it's the spiritual aspect that they were, they were weakening in. So the, the, what happened was is that the, because of the spiritual aspect, so the, the, what, the, the punishment came as a Maisa Satan that was into, you know, the Akadish Baruch who prevented them from performing mitzvahs. So the Yuvanim, to, you know, to take this a little bit in a, in a, in a clear fashion, when the, the the Jewish people had a sort of a slackening uh, in the in the spirituality, Agudish Baruch says, "Oh, you're 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 slacking off in this. Okay, no problem. So I'll bring the Greeks inside over here, and you're not going to be able to do it. Meaning that we started falling, and Agudish Baruch kept it going over here, and and the Yevon and the the Greek the the you know the Greek culture, the Greek understanding, the Greek Tuma." They realize, okay, now we tap into that. They, they fell in the spirituality. So if we get them in the spirituality, they're going to keep on going down. 
And the Greeks decided to focus on one specific, I mean, they focused on a few things, but there's one specific mitzvah. They went and they, they filed all the oil. Now the question is, what's with all the oil? Like, what, what is, out of all the things, that's why you did, you know, the oil? Like, where, where does that, what's so special about the oil that they went crazy about it? Putting that question on the side, what happened was, is that now Klaus Yisrael did tshuva. How do they do tshuva? They were they fell in the spirituality. So in order for them to do tshuva in the spirituality, they had to be Moser Nefesh. They went to war against to, against the Greeks to restore what they had. They, they they slacked off in one area, and that's the same area that to fight back and get back what they slacked off. And they restored the avoda and the base amigdash, and they were no longer like slacking off in the avoda. It wasn't something that the you know the, it was slacked so off that even you know the the Hellenistic you know leaders that's who they were. The Kohen Gadol was Jason in one of the at one point. It was a completely a, you know someone that that a, 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 from the Hellenistic side that that's who was the Kohen Gadol. They slacked off in it, so they had to fight back and they had to bring it bring it back. And this is why. To, to explain this even clearer, the, the Bach goes and explains that there is a symmetry between the sin that was committed to the decree that was punished. And let's do, let, let, let's explain this here. And from here, you're gonna, you're, it's gonna be so clear. Purim, the sin was physical, the decrees was physical. And that's why the annihilation. The tshuva had to be physical, they fasted. The salvation was physical, their lives were saved. And hence, the celebration is physical. Hanukkah, the sin was spiritual. They, they slackened in the Avodah Hashem. They introduced Greek culture. The, the, the Hellenistic you know, ideas came in. The Kohen Gadol was a Hellenistic person. So the decrees against Klal Yisrael were spiritual also. There were exiles against learning Torah. There were exiles against you know, performing mitzvahs. So the tshuva was spiritual in one aspect that they were Moser Nefesh. They, they pushed themselves to the point to, to, gain the, to regain the Avodah. They fought physically that the most serious Nefesh so hence, they, they got that back. The salvation was spiritual. The, the, the avodah was restored. They were able to get the base of Mikdash back. They were able to go and rekindle it. And hence, the celebration for the Yom Tov is spiritual. And that's why the Hodos of the Hala. So using this, using this approach of the Bach, the question of Rabbi Hanan was, why did the Jews go to war on Hanukkah and in Purim they fasted? And the answer is because Hanukkah it was a decree because of the laziness for performing the avodah. And the only way to truly repent to put, was to put their lives in jeopardy, to show like, no, I'm not lazy. You know, when someone goes and calls a person lazy, in order to prove them not, they have to go above and beyond. So they went above and beyond and said, no, we're going to go and we're going to fight back. How do we, we're not going to sit back and let the, our, our, our holy base of English be destroyed with this impurity. We're not sitting back anymore. And they went and they fought back. And they had one most inefficient avodah. Purim, the, the, the sin was, was a physical sin. It was that. The tshuva required the fasting, the, that, that was all that's needed to, to get them out of where they were. So with this idea, we understand something so beautiful. First of all, everything you see here is measure for measure. But we take this in an in a angle that's so, it, it, that will change your life. And this is the way the Bach goes and explains that nothing in life is stationary. When we start off in a, in a direction, HaKadosh Baruch will continue us in that direction. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, He will continue. The Kohanim, they were performing it without the, you know, during the time of Hanukkah, they were performing it without the, the, the proper motivation, let's just call it. It, was, it wasn't being performed up to, to, the, to the level where it was supposed to. Shah Hashem responded, you don't respect the value of the Avodah. Fine, I'll take it away. Bring in the Greeks, bring in the Hellenistic, and they took it away. And you see over here how they, they slacked off. So HaKadosh Baruch continued that slacking and said, you don't want it? No problem. He brought in other people that continued that slacking and it went worse and worse and worse. Once they started the pattern, the trajectory to go and do good, and they risked their lives to restore the avoda. all of a sudden it says, oh, this is the path that you want to go? No problem. So HaKadosh Baruch led them to one success after another to regain everything that they lost. This is a fundamental concept that the Gemara and Brachas and uh, page 10 brings down. That Whatever path you want to go, that's the path that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will direct you. 
You want to slacken in your avodas Hashem and, and you know in the base of there's no problem. You, we're going to keep you going. Hashem will help you. We'll bring you the, the, the Greeks and they will bring it back down. Oh, now you're fighting. Now you want it back. No problem. Akadish Baruch will help you because the direction that you want to go is the direction that Akadish Baruch is going to help you. We see this also in a very interesting story in, in Bamidbar, right? The story of Bilam, in the 22nd chapter in Bamidbar. Bilam, you know, wanted to go and curse the Jews. Bilam asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can I go? Hashem says, no, don't go. Bilam goes to the people that, you know, that from Balak and says, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't go with you. But they keep on asking with the pressure, and he ends up going. And he convinces and he starts going. We all know the story, he's on his donkey, and there's an angel that's blocking it. He doesn't see the angel. He starts hitting his donkey. The donkey says, why are you hitting me? He starts talking to him. That's an amazing story in itself. But now all of a sudden, the, you know, the, Akadish Baruch opens Bilam's eye and he sees the Malach that's standing in front of him. And it's blocking Bilam's way. Literally, the Malach came to prevent him from going. And Bilam's like, oh, you don't want me to go curse the Jews? And literally, the Malach says, I came here to not, to stop you. And he's like, oh, you don't want me to go? And the Malach's like, no, go. If we think about this, he goes like, should I go? No, I shouldn't go. Okay, he ends up going. The model comes, stops him. Should I go? No, you shouldn't go. But he says, but I want to go. He says, okay, no problem, then go. Like, what's with this bipolar, like, like you're going, you're not going. You are, you are going. And the answer is that, HaKadosh Baruch told him not to go. But Bilam really wanted to go. So Hashem says, if you really want to go, you go. Meaning that whatever direction you want, HaKadosh Baruch will allow you to go. Whatever your heart desires is the way that HaKadosh Baruch will allow you to go. And this, if you if you think about it, sometimes a person is met with success, and they think it must be that Hakadosh Baruch Hu wanted me to do this because you see how successful I am. And the answer that couldn't be further from the truth. That's so not true. If you got success in something, it's not me that Hakadosh Baruch Hu wanted you to do that. If you wanted to do something strong enough, if your heart desired that, Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "Fine, you want to do it, go." Go do it. You want to do a sin? Go do it. People go and they convince themselves. No, I had to do the sin because the Gaddish Baruch put it in my path. And that must be that Hashem wanted me to do this sin. I can give you quite a few examples of very, very big sins that happened because people thought that Gaddish Baruch wanted it. says, no, if you, the reason is that if you wanted to do the sin, Gaddish Baruch will give you the opportunities to do it. If you don't want to do the sins, you're not going to get the opportunities. It's the path that you want to go on. And if you want to go on that path, Gaddish Baruch will allow you to continue that bad you see sometimes great people accomplish so many things in their life and you think how is it possible that this person could accomplish so much how is it possible and the truth of the matter is most of the times it's not possible but when someone has a, a, a desire to do good and accomplish a lot, Hakadosh Baruch Hu gives them that gives them that siyata deshmaya, gives them that divine help that will allow them to accomplish that because that's what a person wants and that's what a person desires. There's an interesting story in the Medrash that there was an alcoholic, and this person, like he drank all his money away, literally had nothing left, and he started selling off things in his house to try to support his habit and uh, the family started seeing the furniture disappearing and they were like we got to put a stop to this or we're not going to have anything left over so what they decided was that they gave this was their father they gave the father a ton of alcohol till he was passed out drunk they pick him up and they figure they're going to do something drastic something that will change him for sure forever and they bring him to the cemetery and there was an open grave there it was just uncovered grave. And they decided to put him in the grave. A chasram, they didn't cover it with dirt. They just placed him inside the grave. Uh, he's sitting over there, passed out drunk. Meanwhile, an hour or two goes by, and soldiers are passing through the graveyard. And with them, they have all their, you know, everything that they carry along with them, with their arms and their weapons and their clothing. And they also have, you know, enough liquor to stock a bar. And uh, they're sitting over there, and they're they're passing through the cemetery, and all of a sudden they hear the war cry. You know, there's like there's trumpets that are going out. They're calling all the soldiers. There's some sort of attack that everybody needs to go. Now the soldiers have all this and all this you know stuff, so all the weapons they can carry with them, but everything else like the liquors and the bottles, what are they going to do with that? So they start going. They're looking for a place to put it. They see a ditch. They, it's the middle of the night. They just throw all their liquor into this ditch, the same ditch that this alcoholic man was passed out. This, uh, you know, the next day this alcoholic uh, uh, guy wakes up, 
Um, and he looks around and he sees bottles that he's never seen before, like liquor though, from the cheap stuff, the expensive stuff. He sees like things like he's never seen before, wine, beer, scotch, you know, bourbon. He's got like everything here. He's like, am I in heaven? Like what happened over here? And he isn't, he's literally in heaven. He wakes up and he starts drinking this, he starts drinking them. And he has enough to last him who knows how long. Three days go by, and the family doesn't hear from their father. They're like, you know, maybe we should check up on him. Like, what's going on, with, you know, with him? He's, he's, you know, he's been MIA for so long. He should have been back by now, realizing, you know, learning from his lesson. And they go back to the cemetery, and they look in the grave, and he's still in there. And he has all these bottles that they're like, how is that even possible? He has more liquor now in the grave than he ever had in the house. And they realize that the father needed his alcohol. This is a medrash, by the way. And he's going to get the alcohol one way or another. So they decided they're going to bring him home. This is the parable, by the way, a parable in, in the, in, you know, in the medrash. They bring him back home and they decided that each day another child is going to go and provide the, the father with the, you know, his necessary needs of his daily quota of alcohol. And this is the, you know, this is the, the, the metrics. And the question is like, how do we even begin to understand this? Like, how do we begin to understand this metrics? So, Abeliel Dessler explains. And he says, this is a, this is a foundation of life that this story is telling us. This is the sort of life. If someone's goal in life is to be an alcoholic, God will assist them to get that. A person has to decide which road they want to go in their life. And once they realize the road, that's the path that they're going to go. And if you think about it, explains Rav Dessler, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes and helps an alcoholic in living a life of intoxication, alcoholism, addiction, imagine how much Hashem will help somebody that wants to do the right things, wants to do mitzvahs, wants to learn, wants to pray, wants to do chesed, wants to do all the good things. We can imagine the, the, the amount of help. You know, the Midah Tovah Hashem is 500 times greater than the Midah Pranias. It's, it's 500 times more greater than the, the help that you will get with doing something good. And this, when Chazal goes and says, Pischuli Pesach Kechuta Shel Machad, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, open me a small hole, just go into your soul, and open me up a small hole like a needle, a tiny, tiny hole. And I'm going to take that hole and I'm going to expand it that you could put wagons and chariots through it. HaKadosh Baruch was saying, all I need you to do is just start, have that desire. Have that desire to do a little bit of good. And once you ha- open up that little hole like the size of a needle, I'm going to open it up and I'm going to bring wagons. I'm going to just give you the blessings for that. And once HaKadosh Baruch opens it up, this goes This goes above and beyond nature. And from Chaim Shmulevitz goes and brings another example on this. On, on the Dash Adam writes a Leilach Bama Lechanaisai. That the, the Gemara and Yuma brings a story down that uh, Rav Meir was traveling with Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Yosi. And they stopped by a certain inn. And this innkeeper, he introduced himself as his name was Kidor. And Rav Meir was always play, paid close attention to people's names. Rav Yosi and Rav Yehuda, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't really look into it. And Rav Meir said, you know what, there's something wrong with this guy's name. Don't trust your, you know, like, he did not give his wallet over to Kidar, to the innkeeper, to, to hold his wallet until after Shabbos. However, Rav Yosi and Rav Yehuda, they did give it. Rav Meir decided he's going to go and he's going to bury his money in the, in, you know, in the backyard. In the backyard he buried it, so happened to be that he buried it, it was, a, it was like a mini cemetery, and he buried it right next to the grave of the innkeeper's father. Now, the innkeeper had a dream that night. And in the dream, his father came to him. And his father came to him and he says, Son, there is a wallet that's lying right next to me in my grave. Go to the back, dig it up, and you'll get the money that someone hid over there. And Kido woke up and he saw a mayor. And he goes over to a mayor who hid the wallet near the, you know, the, the innkeeper's father's, uh, you know, grave. And he said, you know, I had this weird dream. My father came to me in the dream, and he told me to go and dig up his grave right near him. There's, there's a wallet with money in there. So I may realizing that this is literally his money in there. He says, no, don't worry. You don't, you know, don't, don't pay too much attention to the dreams. You know, let it be. But Mayor went, and he sat 
and he watched uh, the entire Shabbos, he made sure that, it, you know, he watched the area of, of where his wallet was kept so that the guy would not go and dig it up. After, um, after Shabbos, the, um, you know, they, they, whatever, I'm not gonna get to actually into the whole story because that's, that's, uh, you know, irrelevant to, to, uh, to, you know, to, to the point that I want to bring in the, t- the hours late. The innkeeper over here, he went and he, if you think about it, his father, the innkeeper's father, came to this innkeeper in a dream from the other world. He was dead already. He came to him and he and he gave him the opportunity to steal. Ask Rebbeim Shmulevitz, what's going on over here? Like, how do you understand this? You have over here an innkeeper that's like not a straight guy, right? He was going to take the money from the other rabbis and he was he was willing to steal anything. And not only that, this father comes to him from the next world and convince, and helps him steal. So Rav Chaim Shmuel answers that in the path that you want to go, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to help you. You want to steal? You want to become a thief? HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give you an opportunity to go and even it will send a message from the next world to give you the opportunity to steal. That's how far, that's how far our desires go. Whichever our way our heart desires, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to go and is going to give us that assist to whichever way we want. Rav Asher Ariely, in one of the Magadishir in in, uh, um, in Mary Yeshiva in Yerushalayim, explains that the military victory and the oil miracle were not two independent miracles. They were one of the same. When the Jews weakened in their Avodas Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu responded by saying, this is the path that you want to go, this is where your heart desires, no problem, I'm going to let you continue on that path. But This is the path that you want, let's continue with them. It, was, it became impossible to continue the Avodah and the Beis HaMikdash. The Quran were wax and the Karbanas and the Beis HaMikdash literally had to close down. When Klal Yisrael were Moser Nefesh, when they went and they fought and they showed how much the value, because the sin was that they didn't, they they, they, they showed the 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 I don't know what the right word is the 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 value was not there. So Hakadosh Baruch Hu took away the 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 spiritual the, the base He took it away when they showed the value was there when they were willing to risk their lives. And they were willing to do anything to get the, the, the Avoda back. Now you show the value, you show the direction. Now Adibish will respond and will, will not only give you the victory against the Greeks, but he will give you the, the ability to do the Avoda, because if you open Adibish even a little, a little hole, Adibish will widen it and bring it out even the The oil was, you think about it, was not necessary. It wasn't necessary. But once we showed HaKadosh Baruch Hu how much we wanted it, we fixed our sin, we fixed our spiritual sin, and we went and we showed how much we wanted. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, if this is how much you wanted, not only am I going to give it to you, I'm going to give it to you to the full extent. Because I'm going to give it to you so much greater than you're going to have all of them, and that's the miracle of oil. The miracle of oil is showing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to give it to us even though we don't, even though we, we, there's no really need for it. Because the derech she'adam lo'itzelelech, this is the path we want, and Shabbos says, I'll give it to you. And this is the way that the world works. When someone goes and slacks off, when someone goes again, Akash Baruch will remove the ability to do more. When somebody wants to do more, Akash Baruch will give them the ability to do more. What a lesson in life. You want to succeed in life, you have to have that... Desire. You have that desire. This book will open up doors for you that you have never imagined that you could have it open. And this is what Hanukkah represents. This is the the the, the our desires of what the Chashmanim this showed their desire and the lesson of Hanukkah that we have to we have to take that additional value, the importance of Avodas Hashem, and once we put that into fruition, this book will show us miracles beyond our, our wildest dreams. Now if we try to wrap this up and understand this in such a beautiful way, if you're with me so far, you're like on seventh, uh, you know, in, in, in the highest level. But if you're not with me, that's my fault because I didn't explain it clearly. So let me try to take this in a little bit of a different angle and, and bring it to a different light. The Bnei Saskar goes and says, why did the Yivanim so warm or so meticulous, particularly in oil? 
what, what's with the oil? I like, okay, I get it, like we want, but like, why, why specifically oil? Oil represents Chachmas Torah. Oil represents the Torah's wisdom. The Greeks, they wanted to go, it was an intellectual war. They wanted to remove that Chachma of Torah. They wanted to, to establish secular knowledge. And that's why it's very interesting that, that olive oil is a, sim- is a symbol for Chachmas Torah. You know, if you want to have, you know, an increase in your memory, you drink olive oil. There's a lot of connections with olive oil and wisdom. And olive oil is specifically connected to the wisdom of the Torah. And that's why the miracle had to occur specifically with the olive oil to demonstrate that victory over the Greeks. It was an intellectual war and the olive oil represented that intellectual power. So the question, the four questions that we ask is that why did they even search for olive oil? And the answer is because they wanted to do it so badly. This is with the direction that they wanted to. It says, okay, we slacked off so much, now we want to go and want to do it so much more. We want to do it to the highest level possible. HaKadosh Baruch says, you want to do it to the highest level possible, then I'll find it for you and I'll give it to you. That's why, why does the miracle of oil even come on the map? Because the miracle of oil shows how much we wanted to. So the miracle of the, of the military miracle showed us the ability that we wanted to go and get the Greeks out. But the miracle of the oil showed HaKadosh Baruch Hu, showed us that we wanted to do things right. We didn't want to just do it simple. No, we want to do it the most kosher way, the highest level possible, even though the other ways would be fine. But that's where we slacked off. We slacked off. The fine is just not good enough. And I want to take you to the next level. This is my, what my heart desires. And that's why, why we ask, what, the, one of the questions we ask is, why even make this miracle? What's so special about the miracle of oil? Because this is what it all represents. It all represents our desire. It all represents that this is where we slacked off, and this is where we, fo- we slacked off in the miracle, in, in, the, in, the, in the slacking in the, in the, of the connection to the Torah, the olive, what the olive oil represents. And this is what we were searching so strong to show us, no, we're not doing that anymore. We're coming back, and we're coming back stronger than ever. And that's why when you look at it, it's not really two miracles, it's one of the same. It's our desire to go and connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's our desire to fight back, it's our desire to do what's right. And once we have that desire, HaKadosh Baruch Hu started opening up doors and making everything exactly the way that it should be. And we're able to get the, the oil to light for, for as much as we needed it, those eight nights, even though that was not fully necessary, but that just shows how much we wanted it. And this is the message. The message is it's so important to realize your desire. It's so important to realize of what your heart wants. And it's such a beautiful idea when you look at the olive oil. You know, if you look at olive oil, if you, any oil, if you ever touch oil, you know how hard it is to wash it off? Like you take Vaseline, something oil, with oil base, try to wash it off. That, it just does it. It always leaves residue. Oil, that represents a Chachmas Torah. No matter how far we have fallen, we've fallen so far, unfortunately. But no matter how far we have fallen, there's still that residue of Chachmas Torah inside of us. We just have to tap into that, and we have to open that little hole, that little tiny hole, and the Shabbat is going to open, open up this huge ballroom for us. There's another idea with oil, that oil never mixes. You put oil with water, oil with anything else, oil always right, always, always separates. As much as we assimilate, as much as we interact, as much, the, a Jew is always connected as a Jew. And no matter what, there's always stands out. So no matter how far you've fallen or how far you feel that your heart has no connection, no ability to desire greatness, no ability to go and to focus on the right thing to do and you think that it's done. I can't, I've fallen so far. Oil is what it represents. It never makes There's always something there. There's always that little, that little, that little residue. There was a, a Tamil Chacham, a huge, huge Tamil Chacham, there's this wrong who went to see uh, this certain Rav, and he says uh, to this Rav, I says, I want to share with you my story. He says, you know, uh, this is, and again, this is a Tamachacham, who is already a grandfather at this point, when he said his story. And he is, not only has he finished Shas, he finished the entire Gemara, he's proficient in most of Shas. His children are Talmidei Chachamim. And he says, I want to share with you my story. He, he says, I grew up in the 60s. And uh, I grew up in a uh, time in America, and uh, it was, you know, I was an American Jewish boy, but in a traditional home. And I got swept up in the hippie lifestyle, that's, the, you know, the 60s, it was all about the, the hippie lifestyle, the long hair, the, the guitar, and we're not going to say which other extracurricular activities was taking place. And uh, he said, you know, as I 
got older, you know, like I, I really, you know, I, I really delved into this lifestyle. I, you know, my hair grew long. I was always playing my guitar. I was always camping. And, you know, I was backpacking. And I decided, you know, I had a few dollars in my in my pocket. I said, you know what? Pick my backpack. Let me travel across America. Live free. No rules. Sleep wherever I want. Eat whatever I want. Do whatever I want. You know, wherever my feet take me. Let life just go. Like, everything is like, cool, dude. You know, like, just like, go where life takes you. And he said, like, at first, I really enjoyed it. It's such a peace of mind. No worries, right? Everything was relaxed. Everything was great. After a few weeks of wandering, you know, the fun began to wear off and the hunger began to kick in. Uh, he didn't have that much money and, you know, he didn't have, you know, meals, uh, you know, the way that he thought he would have. And uh, there came to a point where, where he said, I, I couldn't find anything edible. I was hungry. I was cold. I hadn't showered in weeks and, you know, I, I, I went to dumpsters of restaurants to try to find food. And, like, there was, like, nothing there. And he's like, I was traveling in the middle of North America. Who knows where I was? And I felt I was going to die if I didn't, you know, my situation didn't improve very, very quickly, very, very short, in a very short period of time. And as I was walking and thinking about this, I saw this large building with a huge mug and oven on it. And I said, you know, it must be a Jewish building, a public building. So, you know, let me let me go in there. Maybe I could warm up, wash my hands a little bit. Maybe I could uh, rest a little bit. He walks up the steps, opens the door. Doors open. Place seems empty. He starts looking around. He found a quiet spot. He found the, you know, like he put his backpack over there. Started searching for a bathroom, for a sink. He found the sink, and he began to wash his hands and and face something that he hasn't washed in in weeks. And he started drinking the water, and suddenly he felt like, you know, like this life-saving water. He hasn't drink, drank anything in who knows how long. And he freshened up, and he goes back to his backpack, finds a cold bench, and he says, you know, let me let me rest over here. It's a little bit warm over here. Let me sleep over here. He lays down using his knapsack as his pillow. And as he's trying to doze off, he suddenly he starts hearing voices that are getting louder and louder. And he... You know, he starts looking around and he notices the voices are coming behind a certain curtain. He goes to the curtain and he peeks through and he sees this like heated debate that was going on. There was an old man with a white beard over there that was screaming at these younger men and they were called, they were screaming back and there was an argument back and forth louder and it looked like they were angry. And, uh, you know, he, he was like, I was so surprised. All of a sudden, you know, like it, it hit him that he was in a synagogue, he was in a shul. And only now he realized that he ended up going into the women's section. And the rabbi was arguing, or what he thought was fighting with other people, what they were learning, you know, Gemara, which he didn't know what it was yet. And he's sitting over there, and he's watching the scene, where you have the rabbi is screaming, and these people are screaming, and they're saying, the bias says this thing, and the rabbi says this, and they're going back and forth. And he's like, what are they talking about? He's never heard this before. He's never seen such a thing before. And they're screaming back and forth. And you have this hippie guy who hasn't showered in beard and long hair and the, you know, the curls. And, you know, he, he, he suddenly comes out of the woman's section and he starts staring at them. And they didn't even notice him because they were so, you know, involved in what they were doing. But they must have smelled something because they turned around and they see this hippie guy just like staring at them, dirty, you know, like looks almost homeless, just staring at them. And they were, all, they were like shocked. They were like, you know, can we help you? And he looks at them, and he, and he goes to the, he realized that the white, one with the white beard must be the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, he says, what are you talking about? He says, these words, I don't understand. What are they? And the rabbi responds back, he says, are you Jewish? And he says, you know, yeah, uh, you know, I am, I am Jewish. And the rabbi explains, you know, we're learning Dafyomi, and we're discussing, this is called the Gemara, and we're discussing it. And he looks at them and he says, Rabbi, I, I need, he says, I don't know what came over me. He says, I need to know what these words mean. And the rabbi says, you're coming in the middle of that, you know how complex a Gemara is? I, it's a really complicated thing. I'm not going to be able to explain it to you, you know, all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, like I, just over here, it takes, takes months and years to be able to understand this. And then he blurts out, he says, I don't know where this came out. He says, he blurts out, I swear I'm not leaving this building until I understand what those words mean. The rabbi was like taking it back. He saw that this guy was serious and he really wanted to learn. So the rabbi is not going to turn someone away. He says, you know, do me a favor. Wait on the side over here. Let me finish the class. And then, you know, I'll sit and I'll talk to you. And the rabbi finished the class 
And this hippie was looking at them and staring at them, mesmerized by this, by, by, by what was going on. And uh, after the class, the rabbi speaks to him and he says, you know, like, you can't just learn this. Like, you, you have to know Hebrew, you have to know the basics, and then there's like Mishnayis, and there's Chumash. And then, you know, there's Gemara, there's like, there's, it takes time. And the guy says, okay, I, I want to learn. And the rabbi says, like, you want to you learn? He's like, yeah. I want to learn. And the rabbi arranged for him. Rabbi arranged for him, you know, to you know, a place to shower. He ended up camping in the actual shul. He ended up staying in shul for six months. He ended up living in the shul. He was, you know, put on yarmulke and sits and he started learning like he, day and night, learning throughout the whole, all hours of the day. He says, he go, and he's telling the story with the rabbi. He says, I did not leave that building until I understood those holy words. And it took me six months. Six months I learned day in and day out. Day and night. And finally I went and I understood the words. And after those six months, uh, the rabbi sent me into Eretz Yisrael, And I started learning in Eretz Yisrael, And I haven't stopped since. And he says he has children and grandchildren already that are Talmidei Chachamim. He had a spark inside of him. No matter how far you fall, no matter how far you go, you can be a hippie traveling throughout the world on who knows what type of extracurricular chemical activities, but there's something inside, there's a residue inside each and every single one of us. The oil is sticky and it's messy and it doesn't go off, it's inside. And once we tap into that, and once we show our desire of what Hanukkah is, we'll be able to show us miracles beyond our ability to even uh, understand. And this is why something so beautiful. This is why I'm sorry we're almost finishing. I know we're a little bit over overdue. The 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 menorah. When you look at the the, the different kalim in the base of Migdash, so the shulchan was on the north side. The mizbeach hazav was on the east side. Uh, you know the the menorah was on the south. The south always is associated with you know the lower areas, the bottom. And the menorah, why was it, why was it on the bottom? Why was it designated on the bottom? That if, if someone ever finds himself feeling in the south, what's in the south? Like down, low, down in the dumps. A person should never give up. That's what the menorah represents. That's what the oil represents. That's what the fire represents. The nature of fire is always to shoot up. No matter which angle you put fire, it always goes up. And that's why the menorah specifically, we were down in the dumps on Hanukkah. We had nothing, we were all, everything was all, all lost. And that's why the focus was on the, the menorah. The focus was on the oil. The oil represents the Chachmah Satara. It says, let's destroy this. If we destroy this, we're not going to get anything in them. But the problem is that they didn't realize the oil is sticky. The oil has residue. The oil always stays inside. And the oil always is separated, no matter where you put it in. And we dug down deep, and we're able to tap into that. And we were able to go and we were able to tap into that, just like the flames are always reaching up. If you look at the, the a big a big a big thing to do is to go and steer at the the candles this Hanukkah. Watch those flames, daven near the flames. Like watch them. So how they go up? It's such an inspiration, and it's really powerful in the capitalistic sense. Uh, which we're not, I think we spoke about this in previous years. But the, the the idea of what the fire represents is that you never give up. There's oh, you always go and you always fight up. Even if you're down, that's where the menorah is in the south. What's in the down below? You're in the dumps. Look at the fire. Fire always is focusing up. If you're always able to focus up, you're able to achieve everything and anything. Because once you open up a little bit, fire the HaKadosh Baruch will open up the world for you. And this is why it's so important to realize our, what our heart desires. Because everything in our life is designated and it's going to be pushed by our desire and our thoughts and what we want. And if we're able to tap into this Hanukkah, to realize what our desires are, and maybe our desires are not the best, so if we just shift them over a little bit, if we just make that a little bit of our want, a little bit of our desire to be greater, to be better, to be more successful, to be a better person, to be a better yid, to be a better spout, to be what everything that we need to do better, more tzniyas, more learning, more everything, we'll be able to tap into so much power. In the Kayach of Hanukkah, power that we have never thought possible. And that is the lesson, the takeaway of Hanukkah. The takeaway of Hanukkah is no matter where you are in your life, there's always hope. And all you have to do is just tap into that little fire, the little light, the little residue of oil that you have burning inside of you, inside your neshama. And with that, we'll open up two questions. Okay, how could a person shift their desire? (laughs) 
I just have to give you the basic one. That's the hard question. I can give you the easy stuff. How do you shift the desire? Um, so the truth of the matter is, it's a great question. But um, there are many different ways to do it. Number one is to realize the importance of something. So the more important you realize something is, the more desire you will have for it. So for example, if somebody values money as very important in their life, their desire for that will grow very high. If someone desires, let's say, relationship, if that that's if if that's very important to them, they will strive to make it good, to make it better. So one way is to make it important in your life. How do you make it important in your life? So one of the things is knowledge. Knowledge brings a lot of a lot of you know uh, you know importance uh, you know to it. Uh, that's just like one. I, I would say the probably I don't know if I'd say the easiest way, but but one of the most uh, uh, mainstream ways to make something important. And once you make something important, that will make your desire. Another aspect is you daven for it. If you're not there yet, Sakadish give me the desire to be a better person. Give me a desire to grow. Give me a desire for whatever it is that you want. Tfila is huge. Oh, here's another question. If someone is faced with a physical challenge, how do they know where in themselves they need to correct? So that's a very good question because once you're in a challenge, it's very hard to see uh in the right lens, and that's why it's always beneficial to speak to a rav, a mentor. Uh, things that sometimes are obvious to other people are not obvious to ourselves when we're in the situation. So when you speak to somebody else, that sort of could could guide you in that, uh, in the direction that you need to go. Um, other times, if you do a little bit of meditation and introspection, and you be able to sort of take yourself out of that, you might be able to see a little bit of clarity. But really, in, in difficult situations, utilize your your rabbanim, your rabbitsons, your you know mentors, whoever it is that you speak to, because you should never feel bashful or embarrassed. You should always ask for help and guidance, because you know you, you'll be surprised on how beneficial it will be for your life. Oh, okay, okay. Only two questions. Okay. Oh, no, wait. One more. Oh, no. This is another question regarding the source of humor in the Torah. I'm sorry. I had such a crazy week that I did not even have a chance to even think of that question, Um, you know, to be honest. But thank you for bringing that up again. But I'm sorry. I don't have anything. Another question came in. This is unrelated. I spent so much time learning how much Hashem loves me, but I'm lacking the fear. How do I get fear of, you know, of Hashem? You know, I don't know if I've ever gotten this question before. I've always gotten, I fear God. How do I love God? I never got to the point that I love God. How do I fear God? So the aspect of, of Yira, and um, I would really say this really would be a, a focus of something, let's say, to do more in learning Musar. Um, and and again, the, the, the Abbas Hashem is a much higher level of servicing Hashem, but obviously Yira Hashem is also very important. But I would say learning Musar is, is uh, um, very important in this and can guide you into that in a, a, a healthy way, I would say. There's other ways, but I think that's the, the best way that I would recommend. Okay. Thank you all for joining. Thank you all for coming. May this Hanukkah light up our soul and our lives with spiritual blessings and physical blessings and every blessing in between. And may Akadish may we, may we open up our Akadish Baruch a tiny, tiny little hole and Akadish Baruch will open up a world of blessing in the physical and the spiritual, intellectual and the emotional in all aspects that we need and that we don't need. May Akadish Baruch just give us brachas ad blidai. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.